0: All right, Happy New Year for the twentieth episode of pain points of wealth, and things are getting interesting. You know, Wall Street all of a sudden has rosy- colored sunglasses. Goldman Sachs came out and is looking for a fifteen percent return this year on the s and p five hundred as the world has become more bullish overnight. So the question is, is it going to be a good year in the stock market, a bad year? How do you allocate your money? and we're going to break down what lessons we can learn from last year. It was a crazy year, tumultuous year in the markets, tumultuous year for your financial plan. So we're going to talk about the lessons that we can take from that, apply to 2021, make it a great year. So let's hit it. We've got a great show.
1: Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between.
2: I don't get it. I think Goldman Sachs is predicting a big up year in the market. I thought their New Year's resolution was to not get it wrong any longer. And if you look at Company's
0: earnings last year, they were a lot less bad than everyone anticipated. So guys, they were wrong last year. Why are they going to be right this year? Explain that to me. Should we trust them this year?
3: Well, you know what I'm thinking, guys? I'm actually thinking at this point, we should start a fund that bets on what the opposite of Wall Street says. So everything that they say is going to happen, we should vote against that. I think that's our strategy for the next 10, 20 years.
2: Well, it's always proven right to be contrary to what Wall Street thinks. But you know they're just ordinary normal human beings as much as they pretend and act like they know more than everybody else and human nature is you tend to predict the future based on your most recent experience for example Goldman predicted suddenly that the S&P would never get above 3000 when the market crashed back in April and now they're talking about 4300 a 15% move so you know unless you um, don't have anything else to do with your time you don't want to follow these forecasters in terms of how you invest your money. Well,
0: I think the big mistake here is it's no secret, right? This year should be pretty good for the economy when we get to the latter part of the year, where we have these vaccinations, we should have like 100 million people vaccinated by March, they're saying at this point. You know, Consumers right now, Americans are sitting on way too much cash, over $2 trillion is the last count that I saw, which means a lot of money could be spent somewhere at the latter part of the year. But the problem is that's not a secret. You know that. I know that everyone on Wall Street knows that. And as we talk about often on this podcast is the market is future looking. So a lot of that good news is already getting priced in. So to be really optimistic on this year, it's not really a novel idea, right? Everybody knows that. That's
3: true, Ryan. To to your point earlier, you said that the herd mentality kind of scares you. Well, here's something else that's even more scary is that investors are now starting to use leverage, right? where they're basically borrowing against their portfolios to add more money into the market to the tune of something like $700 billion. I don't know about you guys, but that scares me pretty good.
0: Well, it's kind of like back when we had the whole housing bubble. Remember, everyone was taking mortgages out on their properties to buy more properties and buy more properties And basically, it was like a house of cards, because once property values came down, all of a sudden, everything came to roost. And that's what happens here too. You start borrowing against your portfolio because you're expecting the value to keep going up. What happens when those
2: values go down? It ain't pretty, Bob. Yeah, but here's the thing, guys. I mean, you have the market is doing well on a relative basis, right? Had a fantastic year last year. The economy is looking really good. The outlook is outstanding. So it seems like the Long-term investors are still sitting on their hands in cash and only the speculators are continuing to buy and they're using leverage to do that. But the problem I have with all of it is they're concentrated in a handful of companies. They're not diversifying their portfolio. They're keeping all their money in the S&P 500 as you always tell me, "Rye is just a tech fund and drag." Well, you know, I came up with a really brilliant acronym over the holidays called
0: FATGAM. <laughs> And all, so now that the top heaviest stocks in the S&P are the biggest six companies in the US now by market capitalization are Facebook, Apple, Tesla, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. So basically now you've got all this money concentrated in a very, very small pool of stocks. And to your point, Bob, if the economy reopens, well, those stocks don't represent the economy reopening. And you can have this, what I call the ironic trade this year, where the S&P 500 actually underperforms, yet the economy rocks. That's very possible. And it's one of the reasons why you really want to be diversified here.
3: Well, you know, actually, we're starting to see that a little bit too, right? And some of these other sectors like small caps, energy sector, both areas that are really start to outperform, whereas the S&P really hasn't done much in recent period of time.
2: Yeah. I think the stock market and investing in a portfolio strategy is not all about buying low and selling high. Of course, it's not bad if you buy low and things go up. That's exactly what you want to expect. But it's also about compounding of dividends and interest. And the companies that pay the least amount of interest or dividends are the companies that are the most popular. The ones that aren't as popular right now are yielding 8% when you look at pipelines, 4 to 7% in telecoms, 3 to 6% in REITs, even utility stocks yielding over 3%. And when you look at a money market fund that's at zero right now, they look like fat yields to me, guys. Yeah, I think it just plays into that whole
0: ironic trade, right? The most long-standing companies, most well-established companies that are trading cheaply and pay the most dividends are the most unloved on Wall Street right now. Meanwhile, investors can't get enough of that big cap tech trade. Those IPOs, all those stay-at-home stocks that have done so well, and if history is any guide, you're going to be sorely disappointed if you keep all your money there even though it's hot right now it typically doesn't stay that way. In fact, you know we've already had a 50% move in the S&P 500 guys over the last two years. It's very rare to have another double digit year in the S&P 500 after having such a big move. So if you start looking at odds and probabilities, it's probably against the S&P 500 continuing to rock here. But meanwhile, Bob, like you just said, the rest of the market's on sale and most investors are missing that.
3: You know, just to give you a real life example, uh, I was talking to a client of mine the other day, and they have quite a bit of money sitting in Apple stock. It, just to put that in perspective, of a two million dollar portfolio, five hundred thousand dollars is an Apple stock. And at this point in time, you know, they're at the point where they're dependent on their portfolio for their lifestyle, and they don't want to sell their Apple stock because they have these huge capital gains. And they're like, "Well, look how well it's done. It's going to continue to do well." I said, "Well, one thing is Apple doesn't pay a lot of dividends. So what happens if that stock pulls back 40%, 50 percent, and you need that money?" That's the importance of having diversified portfolios because when the stock isn't growing, you still have those dividends to rely on to cover your bills and expenses.
0: Yeah, and the stock was just up 80%. It's kind of like if you go out to buy a new TV and the price goes up 80% overnight, are you going to be more inclined to buy that TV or less inclined to buy that TV? We don't use the same rationale when it comes to the stock market.
2: No, and historically, whenever a stock goes up 100% in a short period of time, very rarely is it followed by another 100% move. But again, just like strategists on Wall Street, investors project the future based on most recent experience. So everyone expects whatever went up last year to be the winners this year. Very rarely, if ever, happens. I don't know, guys. It seems like it's lining up. Wall Street's extremely bullish on big cap
0: tech. Goldman Sachs, again, thinks the market's going up 15%. And meanwhile, odds probability say that there's lots of other places to put your money that are much better value. I personally go with the pain view over the Wall Street view. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And hey, if you like our content, you love our content, please don't be shy. Subscribe and click the like button if you really dig the episode. And also, we're always looking for feedback. So any thoughts, anything you want to discuss on our podcast, shoot us a note, put it in the comments section, and we'll try to address it on the show. We're going to try to make this podcast fantastic this year and just give you the pulse of what's going on with investing Wall Street. So don't be shy. Click the like, subscribe. So Bob and Chris, obviously the three of us make this fun every single week, and I think our listeners would agree, but let's be real. Preparing your finances, getting financially secure is kind of mundane. It's not the most exciting stuff in the world. However, the year 2020 made it abundantly clear how critical it is to have a solid financial plan in place, So I thought we could discuss some of the lessons that we learned last year and how we can apply them to our finances now.
2: You know, Ryan, no matter how many podcasts we do, no matter how many times we talk about these issues, the overriding emotions of all investors are fear and greed. And Chris, how much fear and how much greed did we see this year in 2020?
3: We saw extremes on both sides of that coin. I mean, I can tell you, you know, March seems like five years ago, but I still have the scars on my stomach lining from trying to encourage my clients to not only stay invested but also to rebalance their portfolios.
0: Well, there's a key in there, Chris. It's about having a strategy and a discipline because you know what the thing I hate the most or my biggest pet peeve is when someone tells me I just have a feeling. When I hear that, I want to cry. You should never base an investment decision on a feeling. And I think this year is a perfect example of unemotional strategies that have a discipline in place to keep you invested because Man, oh man, investing with your quote unquote gut is like the worst thing possible you can do. And I think we learned that lesson last
2: year pretty well. This is the best. I talked to a client the other day who told me that, thank goodness, back in 2008, I had this feeling that the market was in trouble and I got out. That was 12 years ago. I mean, who's still investing based on what they did 12 years ago? 12 years ago, the household wealth of the United States was $70 trillion. It's $123 trillion now. So the economy has doubled. The net worth of the Americans have doubled. And people are still talking about the feeling they had before the market went down in 2008. Well, that's kind of like Ryan, who still wears his varsity leather jacket. He's still talking about his glory
3: days on track and field when he's up Villanova.
0: You know what? A lot of people, Chris, are interested in my track career. So I think don't discount how important and how uh, reverent it was. And also, I really think that my astrologist is better at making financial decisions than any gut feeling that any investor's ever had
2: for the record. Well, really what it comes down to, guys, if you have a plan, if you have a strategy based on achieving goals about achieving specific returns over time, that's dictated by your asset allocation. And the only thing that happened during 2020 was your asset allocation got out of whack. But as Chris, you pointed out to so many clients, and I heard you on the phone every day talking to them saying, we have to rebalance. And I say, well, Chris, what if it goes down further? we'll rebalance again. And what if it goes down again? We'll rebalance it. Well, how long are we going to do this, Chris? Until we don't have to. And it's such a simple idea. And of course, Chris, how many times did you have to rebalance back in April? No, no, exactly right. And that's the beauty of it because if you have an asset allocation
0: or a discipline that... Because we didn't know the market was going to rebound the way it did this past year. I mean, let's be honest about it. Like, There's no way we could have foreseen that magnificent turnaround in the markets But because we are unemotional and because you should be unemotional and you follow a discipline, you're forced to buy when prices are down, like you did, Chris. And the beauty of it is, you know, you take all the human emotion out of it. And the best investment strategy has no human emotion involved, is what I've learned over the last 20 years.
2: Well, see, that's why financial planning works because it's all based on optimism. First of all, you make a plan for retirement because you're optimistic that you're going to live long enough to retire, you're optimistic that you're going to be able to live in retirement. So if you have the optimism that one day you're going to retire, one day you're going to enjoy your lifestyle, you got to have the same optimism that financial assets will perform the way they did over the last 200 years. So what it does is by taking that optimism, which is an emotion, it trumps the emotions of fear. It trumps the emotions of panic and greed. And all it leaves you with are rational decisions on what to do with your money when the opportunities are presented. The other thing I think we learned this year is you want to have an emergency fund because who
0: knows, maybe you lost your job this year, or maybe you needed that extra cash, given the fact that we're in this pandemic for some emergency issues. But the other thing we learned is you don't want to have too big an emergency fund where your savings is just sitting in cash earning nothing, you know, hoping for things to get better. Because Bob, as you like to say, the world doesn't end very often But your desire to retire, your desire to be financial independent never really goes away, and you can't afford to have too much money sitting in cash, Chris.
3: Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. I think it's always a good rule of thumb to have at least three to six months worth of expenses in your bank account. But having more than that, it's kind of a lot like having a business with employees that you pay that you get no work from. Your money's not working for you, and having too much in cash can actually detrimentally impact the retirement plan that you put together for yourself because that money's not making money
0: yeah point zero zero one percent interest on your money market fund is not
2: going to help you become financially independent. You know that's the bottom line. You know you guys sound like financial Goldilocks to me. Not too hot, not too cold. You just have to have the amount of cash that's just right. Well, how do you determine that? How do you know what's the right amount of cash to have in an emergency fund?
0: That's where it comes down to actually having a plan, right? That's the thing we talk about all the time. is you can actually reverse engineer this and figure out. Like, what growth do you need on your money so you can achieve all those dreams, goals, whatever you want to do, when you want to be finally independent, to live life the way you want to live? Well, you know, you can break all that down and you can figure out exactly like what's a healthy amount of cash. I mean, that's one of the things we do with the hundred or so proposals we run every month is we find that you might be sitting with just hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. And you know we can come to a number. You know you can actually figure that out formulaically based on your goals how much should actually be in cash versus how much needs to be invested towards your goals. And it's a really important balance. Because again, you don't want to have too much money invested where you're out of luck if things go bad. But on the flip side, man, oh man, you don't want to sit with way too much money in cash because you missed a lot of opportunity last year. And who would have guessed in a year of the pandemic that risk assets would have done so well. And you don't get that return back if you're just sitting in cash. Well, you know what, guys?
3: As important as to make sure you have a decent emergency savings fund and not let your emotions dictate your portfolio decisions, it's also really important to plan for the future and beyond the point when you walk out on God's green earth, and that's having a legacy plan. You know, Unfortunately, this year, because of COVID, we saw too many untimely deaths. And the big problem with that is that a lot of these folks, my clients included, don't have a will or some kind of an estate plan that dictates where their assets
2: go. You know, Chris, it's even worse than that. A lot of you don't even have a beneficiary updated on your IRA, your 401k, your IRA rollover, your Roth IRA, your 403b. You know, there's all these different accounts that you may have had for years that you take for granted, but they're not covered by your will. So it's not only not having a will, it's not having those beneficiaries up to date. And man, I'll tell you, I've seen some horror stories in the last 45 years when it comes to A legacy when it comes to your financial assets.
0: And I'll tell you who's guilty of this is the Generation Xers out there, like myself. Actually, I have my will set up, so I'll put that caveat out there. But I talked to my buddy the other day, two kids in the last two years, and him and his wife were on a conference call with me, and they're like, oh, I don't think we have anything set up. Not to mention they have two properties, two mortgages, and it's crazy to think that there's no estate plan set up at all. And I think this year, again, is just a great reminder of bad things can happen, unfortunately. And you don't want to put your loved ones in a position where things haven't been set up ahead of time. And it's not that hard to set up a simple will and to make sure that all of your beneficiaries
2: are set up correctly. Like That's something you should do right now at the beginning of the year. Don't waste time on that. I don't want to frighten anybody, but you know the US government is spending like a drunken sailor right now. I mean, we've had two stimulus plans. There's an enormous amount of debt being built up by the federal government, by state governments. If you don't think they're coming for your money, then you are not living on the same planet I'm living on. You want to make sure you have that legacy planning to protect your heirs from the greedy politicians out there that want your money.
3: Well, to wrap it up here, guys, you know the thing you got to remember is that when you're setting up these estate plans for yourself, you're not setting it up for you. You're setting it up for your heirs and you're trying to make it as easy as possible for them, You know, especially in a time when they're grieving. So bottom line is make sure that you have your estate documents up to date. Make sure your beneficiaries are up to date. As Ryan pointed out, it's not that hard. Put it together and your heirs will thank you.
0: Bob, Chris, and I now have spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www paincm.com slash financial plan, or click the link below. We'll put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right track to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. It's the hidden facts of finance. Random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob. The returns of a hypothetical investor who put $10,000 into the S&P 500 index fund at the start of 1980 towards the beginning of your career, Bob, and missed the market's best 5 days through the end of August 2020. So that's 5 days over 20 years, their return would be 40% less or almost 40% less.
2: Had they just stayed invested, that's insane. Well, that's what the market does to you, Rye. Right? It pushes you to the point where you can't take it anymore. It's like, oh, I'm so tired of it going down. I'm just going to get out until it's done going down. And there's also this belief on the part of some investors that the market could go to zero. And I've been fighting this for years. You know, the market stocks are backed by real assets. And You know, I kid about this all the time. I would love to see the market go to zero. That means I could get any building in Manhattan for free. Now, I'm taking Madison Square Garden, Rye. Which one are you taking? That's a pretty good pick, Bob. Uh, I'll come out and shoot some
0: hoops with you at the garden. We'll go back and play some games of horse again, like we did when we were kids back in the driveway. Chris, the South added another 976,000 residents in 2020, with Texas, South Carolina, and Florida posting the fastest increases and each ranking among the top 10 fastest growing states in America.
3: Well, let's see, Rye. Lower cost of living, better weather. I think there's probably pretty good reasons for the influx of folks moving down there. What do you think, Dad? Why did you move to Florida?
2: You know, Chris, I can't believe all the people that are coming to Florida. It's taking me longer and longer to get to the golf course, and I'm really not happy about it. There's too many snowbirds down here now. Bob, the struggle is real. We all feel it. So, Bob, the Nikkei 225, which
0: is your major Japanese stock market index, rose 714 points last week, touching 27,000 last Tuesday, the highest level since 1990. And I know you remember this, but back in 1989, the Nikkei famously topped out at 38,957
2: and has never gotten back to that level. Now we're talking literally 30 years later. Well, I remember those days, right? I remember when everybody told every corporate suite in America that they should be like the Japanese, that they should follow the Japanese strategy, You'd only do what the Japanese were doing. And it, what it turned out was that the dollar was weak and the yen was strong and they were buying everything in America. And then those tables were turned. So now it doesn't look like Japan was the way to go.
0: Wow. and I saying correct? That was 40 years ago. Pretty crazy. Chris, Charles Dow's first stock index in 1884 contained nine railroads, and just two industrial stocks. That makes my new acronym, FATMAG, Facebook, Apple, Tesla, Microsoft, Amazon, Google at 24% of the S&P 500. Not that big a deal, given how many railroad stocks dominated the index in 1884.
3: Well, you know what, right? Warren Buffett was buying railroad stocks back in October. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And you know what? There's nothing cooler than going to a cocktail party and talking about all the
0: railroads that you own. (laughs) Talk about a real player, Chris. Bob. In 1967, IBM represented a larger portion of the market than Apple at the end of 2019, 5.8% versus 4.1%. So I guess the S&P 500 has always been concentrated is the bottom line.
2: Well, it really has, Ryan. As we say, when it comes to the stock market, history doesn't always repeat, but it often rhymes. It says there's always going to be some dominant company in the S&P 500. It's just not going to be the same name. And typically, it's going to be replaced somewhere down the line. Hard to see it. Apple's a dominant company now, but IBM was even more so 40, 50 years ago. I'm still with Chris though. I think owning all the railroads still sounds cooler at the cocktail party, but that's
0: just my own take on things. Great show, gentlemen. If you like our content, you love our content, please subscribe leave us a comment below. Give us your thoughts, what you want us to talk about here on our podcast, and please hit that like button. That's it for episode 20,
1: Pain Points of Wealth. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Pain Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Pain Capital Management.